The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Our show has been growing in popularity uh, very rapidly, and so we're very thankful to you for listening because each time you listen, you are registering a vote in favor of our show. So thank you very much. We also want to thank our corporate sponsors uh, for the first hour of this show. They are Barkerville Gold, Merrick's Gold, Inc., American Bonanza, Palangio Exploration, PMI Resources, Tara Minerals, and Crocodile Gold. We want to thank each of those sponsors because they make the show financially possible. Well, the premise of our show really is that we need to understand the basic causes of our financial malaise in order to do something about it, not only on a personal level, but also from a policy level. We need to know who to vote for, what who are the politicians, who are the, the leaders out there that are providing the right remedy to the, to the problems that we're facing? Uh, and that is a, a very basic premise of this show. And our view is that the mainstream media has not been giving us the full truth. We talked to, uh, to several people in this show in recent weeks who have given us some real reason to be, to be doubtful that we're getting anything close to the, uh, to the full truth, at least from the mainstream media. And uh, that's understandable. We're not suggesting any conspiracy. We just think people generally act in their own best interest as they see it, and 
uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, we do have some people uh, on this show. We've had people on the show that have examined the policies of our government that we think have helped to provide some good insights. People like uh, Congressman Ron Paul, Congressman Dioguardi, Richard Mayberry, uh, Ed Griffin's been on the show, Adrian Salbucci last week and the prior week. We've had the gold antitrust action people who have provided some real reason to believe that there's some hanky-panky going on uh, from Wall Street and Washington with respect to the gold markets and uh, uh, in trying to keep the, uh, the confidence in paper currency up. Uh, Dmitry Orlov, um, the Russian, who gave us some real insights into uh, the parallels between the United States uh, malaise, economic malaise, and that of Russia. John Truman Wolf has been on recently, also added. We're going to have a fellow named Daniel Estulin. Uh, really looking forward to this. May 18th, Daniel Estulin, he's the author of The Bilderbergers, uh, the true story of the Bilderberg Group. Over 3 million copies of his book has been sold. He's very much in demand. He's going to be speaking to us from Spain on um, May 18th. Well, having identified the problems and who, who are to blame for the problems that we're having in terms of the policies, we then want to figure out how those policies are going to impact the markets. We want to understand, realizing that we can't always change the world, we want to do our small part to make it better if we can, but basically we're going to have to just sort of read the landscape, try to understand the markets, try to understand how policies are affecting the markets and then profit from the direction of those markets. Yes, the markets are messed up, I believe, big time by both parties. And in my, in my view, both parties are pretty well equal, uh, equal to the task of, of, of intervention and messing things up in the economy. Uh, but, you know, but that's what it is. And so we have people like Chen Lin with us who, uh, Chen really doesn't, doesn't get involved in political matters too much. He's, I think, a master at reading the direction of markets, the markets as they, uh, as they unfold. Uh, he does recognize policy. He looks at policy and understands how those policies are going to affect markets. In fact, he'll have a few things to say a little later in the program uh, in a few minutes from now. Some of the other guests that we've had on this show that I think have provided a great deal of insight since we started a little more than a year ago, Mark Faber, Bob Hoy, Ian Gordon, uh, Michael Shedlack, uh, Michael Pansner, James Turk, Richard Mayberry, David Tice, Ian McAvity, on and on it goes. We've had lots of people that I think have been very, very helpful. Today we're going to have Jispert Gunenwegen with us um, at uh, in the second hour, or towards the end of the first hour, I should say, and Arch Crawford will be with us again to offer his views of how the planetary alignments may have some effect on the markets as we move forward. Well, it really has worked well, I would say, uh, Austrian economic theory is really, in my view, the one economic theory that best exemplifies free market economics. <clears throat> Forget Keynesian economics. It's the antithesis of free market economics. It's closer to socialist economics or communist economics, even if you get right down to it. So we've been able to take our model portfolio in my newsletter, uh, a modest gain, I would say, certainly nothing as great as Chen Lin has done, We've been up 181% since January of 2000, but that compares quite favorably to Abby Joseph Cohen's favorite investment, the Standard & Poor's 500. It's really down 20% since January of 2000. So we think we're doing something right, and no brilliance here, just simply looking at the markets, understanding free market economics and how the antithesis of free market economics messes things up, and then realizing that markets are out of equilibrium because of intervention 
uh, we want to then uh, profit from it or at least protect ourselves against the problems that result from it. Well, another person who's followed free market economics uh, to a great extent and and free and uh, Austrian economics would be Ron Paul. In fact, uh, Austrian economics was responsible, according to Ron, for uh, causing him to enter politics. And Ron has gone on and on year after year proposing bills to eliminate the Federal Reserve to get rid of the uh, uh, the income tax, and he's been laughed at. Well, year after year, he's been thought of as a kook, quite frankly. And now people aren't looking at Ron Paul as such a kook. In fact, it was very, very interesting to note that a Rasmussen poll has Ron Paul at 42% compared to Obama's 43% when asked who Americans would like to have as their next president. And that is remarkable when you think about it because no other Republican broke into double digits even. So laugh all you want. Uh, The point is that free market economics and an understanding of Austrian economics, understanding that uh, intervention in the marketplace is leading us into deeper and deeper problems uh, Ron Paul has uh, is apparently prevailing. Americans are really getting very, very fed up with what they've seen over uh, over a period of time, uh, and so it's very uh, heartening to me because I have been a Ron Paul supporter for a long time. I have been a, an advocate of free market economics to see a growing number of Americans who are really very uh, very upset about um, really I think the violation of the Constitution of the United States, uh, interventionist policies, um, uh, socialist confiscation economics, essentially taking, uh, having government uh, over the barrel of a gun, taking wealth from people and redistributing it. That doesn't seem like the America that I thought I lived in, and it's an America that a lot of people are becoming increasingly distressed over. Well, one person who is running for Congress, who I think reflects the views very very closely to Ron Paul, is Dave Corsi. We had Dave on the show last week, and there just wasn't enough time to allow him uh, to really talk about all the things we wanted him to talk about. So Dave is going to be joining us a little later in the show. He's running for Congress from the 12th District of New Jersey. Uh, David is a real estate professional, so we're going to pick his brains a little bit on the real estate markets when, when he comes back. Um, after Well, it's about, I think, a quarter of, quarter of four we're going to have David on. Uh, before we get to David, we are going to talk to Chen Lin um, just in a, after we come up on the break here in a, in a couple of minutes from now. Um, and then later in the show, we're going to be talking to uh, Jispert Gunenwagen uh, and Arch Crawford. Uh, they will be joining us to give their perspectives on the markets for the remaining um, yeah, for, the, for the remaining part of today's show. Uh, I'll do a short break, a, a short wrap-up at the end of the show, but we'll have... Most of 45 minutes with Gisbert and Arch Crawford towards the end of today's two-hour show. We are living in a bubble economy. Can you remember any time when you didn't hear the word bubble associated with the economy? Well, I can. I'm old enough to remember that. I think if you go back before uh, before the dot-com break, uh, before the dot-com bubble, I should say, we still had an economy that was based on you know, a pretty good dose of reality. When Greenspan started pumping money into the economy like mad uh, to keep uh, to expand the bubble, uh, after the '87 crash, uh, there was a panic and there was a lot of a lot more intervention. In fact, that's when uh, the um, the president's working group was formed. There was a growing intervention on Wall Street to try to keep markets from 
from uh, imploding as they did in the crash of 87. Greenspan pumped huge amounts of money into the economy. We had a bubble, a dot-com bubble, massive amounts of malinvestment, a huge amounts of money was lost, trillions of dollars lost with the crash of 2000. I think that we are in a bear market, a secular bear market that started in the year 2000. So uh, that being the case, I am and remain very, very leery of this equity market right now. I'm very concerned that we're going to see another shoot a drop. Um, at the same time, though, we can, we can see that uh, the market is continuing to rise. We're up here today um, pretty strongly, or at least we were earlier in the day. Um, oil is rising very dramatically. Some of the other commodities are rising very dramatically. I do believe that we could see 11,700 on the Dow before this is over. Roger Wiegand, who will not be with us today, I know, is looking for a uh, sell-in-may-go-away phenomenon where, where he's sort of expecting a peak in the equity markets here in, in another few weeks and then, um, and then a lot of weakness. Well, we're going to talk to Chen Lin, who is really a very practical investor, uh, in just a couple of minutes, and then we're going to go on to Arch Crawford and others for their bigger picture uh, perspective. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chen Lin. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity a successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Gold Fields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. 
Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here with my partner, investment guru extraordinaire, Chen Lin. Chen has turned $5,400 into, well, well over $800,000 last I checked, and we were just chatting with Chen at the uh, at the break, and there may be even a bigger milestone to report to you in the future. Uh, Chen's newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? can be purchased by going online to our website at miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com, or you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, during the work week at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. We do offer a one-time trial subscription for people to try Chen's letter. Uh, he sends out very, very frequent uh, updates. And I might just say that the real value that Chen brings to you, uh, while he will give you some names on this show from time to time that could very well be profitable. In fact, I think there are cases where people who would have purchased the shares that Chen has recommended here, uh, really recommended to subscribers and passed on to you uh, on this show, have done quite well. 
But those that have the benefit of being in front of a computer during the work week can really do well with Chen because Chen is a timer as much as anything. He has done extremely well. And I'm not trying to say that Chen doesn't make some mistakes along the way. I'm not trying to say that everything he tells you to, or that he suggests or that he buys and then he tells his subscribers he's buying, uh, not everything is profitable. But the large majority of things are profitable, and some of them have been phenomenally profitable. And uh, just suffice it to say that the numbers speak for themselves. Well, when I talked to Chen earlier today, uh, Chen said he wanted to talk about oil. He's turned quite bullish on oil. So, uh, Chen, welcome again to our show. Thank you, Jay. Well, you know, uh, I know that there's a lot of money that's being pumped into the system. And you and I have talked about this, what is driving the oil price I believe that a good part of the oil price and commodities in general are being are, are rising simply because there's so much money in the economy sloshing around, money that's put into the economy. It's not getting the main street. The banks aren't lending it out, but the hedge funds have access to this money, and the hedge funds are, you know, collectively one giant uh, casino essentially, and they are out there buying real stuff, realizing that the currency is losing value because there's so many units of currency, not only the dollars, but the, Chinese are printing money. Everybody's printing lots and lots of money uh, trying to keep the global economy moving forward. I personally don't believe that that is a long-term answer to any kind of economic growth, but it certainly does drive prices. Well, you, though, Chen, I believe, have a different, somewhat different take, and it's not just money. There are some real fundamentals in China that may be driving energy prices and specifically oil prices. Would you care to talk about that? Yes, uh... There's a uh, twofold. I think uh, you know uh, there's a uh, actual fact that are unfolding. Uh, one is um, the severe drought in southern China. It's once a century, you know, for a lot of people, once a lifetime drought. So in China, you know, water, the hydro plant provide ten, twenty percent of electricity in for the country. Mm-hmm. So when they shut down, there's no water. So they have to shut down. The power has to come from somewhere else. Uh, China, Chinese people start enjoying, you know, a little bit more like American way of life, so they like to use air conditioning, for mm. example, in the summer. And then, you know, the, the, every summer there's a power shortage in China, every summer. And this summer is going to be very, very severe. Uh, so what Chinese government do is usually the first, when the power shortage comes, they cut off the industrial first, and then before they cut off, you know, residential. So the mm-hmm. so industry, the factories, they will be out of power first. For every power factory, they usually have backup generators. Okay, for this kind of emergency, actually they're selling very well. Uh, I, and usually they're using diesel. So I expect, you know, the factories are not stupid. They see this coming. You know, now even it's only April, but they see this coming in the summer. They will stock up. They will try to buy as much diesel as they can. So I can see that China's uh, import, you know, of energy, oil-related import, will be skyrocketing uh, in the next coming months uh, for people preparing for the summer. Mm-hmm. There's another fold coming, which I mentioned in my newsletter in February, as early as February. I think China's uh, will, you know, will support Iran sanction in exchange for something in return. Uh, there are right from some articles in China. There's strong rumor. They said they already have uh, strike a deal with the currency situation with the Obama administration, and then in exchange for the Iran vote. So that, that's what I heard. Okay, it's a rumor, and the mm-hmm. government denied it. You know, but I, I think it's getting very strong. They even to all these exporters that you don't need a hedge currency, you don't need to worry about currency as much. We will have a 
you know, gradually increase. I don't need to worry. No, no, no jump of the currency, and uh, we have a deal with Obama. That's a that's basically the uh, the rumor. But I think the deal means they support China will support Iran uh, sanction. I so see. When, when Iran was sanctioned, they were including their oil, some facilities, and you know other things. So I think that will also you know putting upward pressure to the oil price in the summer. So I see they will have a decent chance uh, this summer oil to reach a hundred dollar barrel. Wow. Have a decent chance, yeah. So part of the deal then is to ensure that China has access to oil. Uh, that that would be so. If if China goes along with a sanction and that cuts off oil from Iran. China would have to make sure it can get oil from some other source. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Saudi Arabia or other Gulf countries would come in to guarantee China. Say, you know, this is we guarantee with our spare oil capacity that you will have oil. But then there's no spare capacity in the world left. You know, uh-huh. That's only Saudi Arabia has some spare capacity. Uh-huh. The other Gulf countries, but they hate Iran too. They don't want Iran to have a nuclear weapon because of Sunni Shiite uh, in the Muslim yes. world. Yeah. So they're supporting, they're pushing China for that. I think they have to use their spare capacity to, to, as a guarantee to China. Well, that's very interesting, Chen. Again, it's you know, folks, this is what I was talking about earlier, trying to understand what is driving the markets. And Chen, uh, thanks for those insights. You have uh, a, a, an oil stock that you're really quite quite keen on, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it too much last week. So it's ATPG Oil and Gas. Would you like to just talk about why you like that one so much still? Oh, yeah, I, I like it. I've been recommending in my newsletter, you know, a little bit lower, below $20. I've been buying a stock, both stock and options. Uh, this is one of the, the case, uh, the oil company, uh, the market believe it could go under. Okay, it's heavily in debt, and there's heavily shorted. Every three or four shares of ADP coming, floating, you know, share, they were shorted. So short has, has been very aggressive recently. So someone shorted a million shares in the past the last two weeks of uh, March, for example. Uh, so they try to push the stock down to force companies to raise money at a lower price. It probably can happen if it's last year, 2009. You know, all your prices are low, the credit market is weak, so you can do that. But now the credit market improves and all your price is high. Then the company has been successful to bring more oil online. So they just price in their bond, refinance their bond, and get more money even more money out of it yesterday. So the, the deal is going to close this week. Then the shorts really out of their hope. You know, the, the company, the PE is the lowest among all the, the forward PE, not the backward forward PE is the lowest among, you know, hundreds of all these oil companies. Really? Yeah, yeah on the screen. And, you know, I, uh, just, you know any, any company with over 250 million market cap is the lowest PE. And then the cash flow is probably trading about one time cash flow next wow. year. Where are the projects, uh, Chen? Where are their projects located? They're mostly in Gulf of Mexico. Oh, so close. I think the Sharks probably have another hope. Maybe later is this year if a hurricane hit their platform. I think, okay. but the chances are very low. And then they they probably cover by insurance. But but then they have the hold. They have the shorted to all the way to the floor. It's pretty dangerous. I mean, they, yeah. could, they could get squeezed before that. Well, it could be. That's that's a very interesting story there. And so you're looking at the at the value. I guess I guess the market is just really they've seen the leverage in this company and they thought it was going to be dead and they thought they could just short it and it was a sure thing. But you know, you never know, folks, about sure things. I I know all too often I take a view of the market and I hang in there on that view. And at some point in time, you have to change your thinking. And one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, you, Chen, is your ability to think uh, with an open mind 
and to change your view from time to time because that's all very important. I, I know that my wife would agree with this 110% that I'm a bit stubborn at times and I say, no, darn it, I know this is right, I'm going to stick with it. Well, sometimes you pay quite a price for that. So, Chen, really appreciate your uh, sharing these views with us again. Um, ATPG, oil and gas, very, very exciting story. We have some other things we would talk about if we had more time. We are out of time. We are going to be right back in a minute here with um, Mike Hoffman. He's the president of Crocodile Gold Corp. So, folks, don't go away. You're going to learn about a very exciting new growing gold company in Australia. We'll be right back with Mike Hoffman. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. Apollo Gold is a gold producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of 
Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly-owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I have with me Mike Hoffman. He is a mining engineer, but he's also the president and CEO of Crocodile Gold Corp. Uh, It's a sponsor to this show. We're very thankful to Crocodile for that. This company is an an emerging gold producer of very significant size in Australia, and I think it's a name you're going to hear more and more of as this company grows, assuming it is able to grow along the lines it's projecting. Crocodile Gold Corp. trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol CRK, trades over-the-counter under CROCF. It's selling at about $1.60 or $1.59 earlier today, to be exact. 184 million shares outstanding, fully diluted 218 million. So we're looking at a market cap of a little bit under $300 million. Uh, Mike Hoffman, as I said, is the uh, CEO and president. He is a professional mining engineer with over 25 years of experience in mine operations, projects, engineering, and corporate development. He recently served in senior executive positions at Crow Flight Minerals, Inc., at Gold Corp., Desert Sun Mining Corp., and Yamana, Inc., Yamana, Yamana Gold, Inc., I should say. He currently also serves as president and CEO of uh, CREA, 
Resources. It's a company listed on the TSX Venture, and he also serves on the board of directors of Castilian Resources, Inc., uh, Aberdeen, Aberdeen International, and Largo Resources, Inc. Welcome, Mike, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Jay. Uh, well, hopefully our uh, conversation lasts a little longer than last time. Huh? Yeah, we got cut off right in the middle, and I think you were... Uh, no, you weren't. You were in. Uh, you were not in Australia, or were you when we talked? Florida, about it? yeah. So now, so now you're here on the North American continent, and hopefully we will. Everything will go fine. You just got back from Australia. How are things going down there? Uh, pretty hot, uh, but the nice thing is, is the operations are ramping up very nicely. Uh, we've got a lot of drills going, so we're very aggressively exploring our tenement package. Uh, we uh, do have some uh, longer-term goals in mind of growing the resource and growing our production profile. So we're spending the money to do that. Well, you uh, you say it's pretty hot down there, I guess, uh, just so people can sort of understand where you're at. You're in northern Australia, which takes you pretty darn close to the equator, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, they're just coming out of the wet season, and it's not uncommon to see, uh, you know, plus 40 Celsius. Ooh. That's about 120, 130 degree Fahrenheit temperatures with high humidity. Whoa. Oh, and now it's cooling off to uh, the low 30 Celsius, so... Well, that's an open pit. We have an open pit and an underground mine. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Australia, now it's, you know, I mean, it's really booming in, uh, for resource production, isn't it? It's a very strong, it's got a very strong currency because of that. It's got the underpinnings of wealth, wealth creation in, in mining, which is a basic uh, wealth-creating industry. Australia, as I understand it, is the second largest gold producer in the world now. Who's the largest? Uh, I believe the largest right now is in China, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Australia is the second largest, and, and the bulk of that production is sort of with Barrick, Newmont, and, and Newcrest, so there's a lot of smaller uh, producers, and I think if you looked at, at us as a standalone company, I think we'd be in the top five gold producers in Australia. Okay. So that is once you start producing your projected production of 120,000 ounces this year, 200,000 ounces next year, I believe. Is that right? That's exactly it, yeah. And you're producing from two mines, the Howley Open Pit Mine and the Brocks Creek Underground Mine? Yes, and then we're also developing uh, the Tom's Gully Underground Mine, which has its own dedicated mill. And so we're sending this ore from the Howley Open Pit Mine and the Brocks Creek Underground Mine to a 2.4 million ton a year processing facility we have at Union Reefs. Uh-huh. So it, it's nice having uh, a lot of this infrastructure in place. Um, you know, I don't know if you know a little bit about the history, Jay, but we uh, we bought these assets out of receivership in early 2009 and went public in November 2009. So in the course of uh, 11 months, we basically bought these assets, rehabilitated them, financed them, and brought them back into production. And uh, not too many companies are able to do that. Usually you go through that whole uh, process where you discover and have to build a mine and finance it. So we already had a couple uh, processing facilities in place and a lot of other infrastructure, so it's really allowed us to ramp up fairly quickly. Well, you have ramped up fairly quickly, which is, I think, one of the reasons your uh, your share price is not where where some of the others are. I, I hope we can talk a little bit about your share price relative to, to the peers, but, but probably part of it is, I mean, Crocodile Gold, it came out of nowhere. I, I mean, I didn't hear about it until all of a sudden I saw, I've had, thank you, uh, Crocodile Gold as a sponsor to this show. And yes, 120,000 ounces. Now, you haven't produced it yet, but you're, you're on the way. You're going to be going to commercial production. I guess you're not really considered commercially at, at the commercial level, or though you're going to be, you're in the process of leaping over that hurdle now. And in May, sometime you're going to make an announcement? Yeah, I'd anticipate, uh, you know, sometime in May we'd look to be going into commercial production. Um, you know, we've had a nice steady ramp up through, we started the mill again in December, 
and uh, you know we processed some material, and then we've uh, turned on the extra grinding lines in January. Had a few maintenance issues February, but then we've been ramping up fairly steady, and uh, I'd say we're pretty close to full production right now. Just want to get you know some. Uh... Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm still there. Oh, we seem to lose you. I couldn't believe it. We, you're there, right? <laughs> still here. I mean, does lightning strike twice or what? Yeah, I'm still here anyway. I, I'm getting paranoid. I don't know what's going on here. We we lost you the last time. Um, continue on. You were saying. No, it's uh, no. We're ramping up. You know, everything's going well. Uh, we've got a large stockpile at the mill. We've got over a month's uh, worth of ore ready to be processed at the mill. Uh, the mines themselves are running very well, and and the processing facility, you know, after uh, having it sit for a year, and the previous operators had run down the equipment, you know, everything is running nice and smooth now. So, uh, you know, I I, I think uh, we're on track for going into commercial, and and I think that 120,000 ounces this year, we're we're pretty safe uh, in achieving that. We uh, do have some higher grade material we're we're getting into now, and we'll also be starting that uh, Tom's Gully project up fairly shortly. Um, right now, it's scheduled to start in August. August, uh, as far as the mill goes. Okay. Well, what uh, what's your projected operating cost? Your cash operating cost uh, for the two for the hundred and twenty, and then for the two hundred thousand. Yeah, the big thing there, Jay, is uh, the Australian dollar has strengthened quite a bit against the U.S. in the last year. So mm-hmm. uh, this year we're projecting a U.S. six hundred and fifty dollar per ounce, mm-hmm. and next year when we increase the uh, overall production rate to over two hundred thousand ounces. Um, we get a little better economies of scale, but we're also looking at mining some higher grade material and also looking at building a new processing facility closer to where the critical mass of our ore bodies are. And we'd expect that uh, cash cost to drift down below $550 U.S. an ounce. Okay, well, you know, I guess, uh, it, I guess it does have a lot to do with the exchange rate movements, doesn't it? And do you do any hedging with respect to, um, uh, with respect to currency? Um, we don't hedge gold at all. Um, we have hedged some limited currency, but uh, one thing uh, for those of the uh, listeners, uh, you know, if they go to our website, uh, www.cropgold.com, uh, we have an interesting graph there tracking the uh, uh, U.S. dollar gold price and the Australian dollar gold price over the last year. And uh, what's very interesting is the Australian dollar gold price it has risen very slightly, but it's remained relatively steady, and it seems to be over the last uh, three, four months about uh, $1,240 Australian an ounce, and it's almost like a natural hedge in that where the Australian dollar um, increases in value, uh, the gold price uh, uh, goes up, and then when the Australian dollar uh, weakens, you know, the opposite happens. So it's it's almost like a natural hedge working because it is a commodity uh, currency, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier. Sure. Sure. Uh, seems to work in our favor. Um, what What are your resource and reserve numbers at this point in time? How many? Could you just tell our listeners? Yeah, right now, um, as far as our resources go, we have over uh, five million ounces of resource. About sixty percent of that is measured and indicated, which for uh, your listeners would have a higher confidence than the inferred. Um, reserves actually aren't aren't uh, super high in in five hundred and fifty thousand ounces. But uh, what I'd say on that is we were taking a lot of the information from the previous operator and uh, we're actively increasing those reserves. And I'd say expect when we update uh, um, 
our uh, guidance and, and the market at the end of this year, it'll be substantially higher. We're, we're spending uh, over $23 million this year on expiration, so a large part of that will be to increase the overall resource, but also to upgrade the reserves. Wow. Well, talk about resource. Uh, just talk about expiration. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good-sized budget. Um, you could come up with some pretty big numbers, then, I would think, if you're putting that much money in the ground. You must. I mean, it's not as if it's, it's wildcatting. You, you're going to be drilling along structures that are defined, I suppose, and, uh, or a depth. Or where do you expect to increase the resource? Well, the big thing here is we have a very large tenement package, 2,500 square kilometers. Uh, to give you an idea, it takes about two days to go over the, the whole property, um, you know, to, to see everything uh, properly. Um, we, uh, there's been almost 4 million ounces of historical production, and as I mentioned, we have 5 million ounce resource. And what we did is we sat down and we said, okay, well, what's our long-term target? And we felt that if we could get to about 10 million ounces of resource, we could then plot up uh, the potential to start producing upwards of uh, 500,000 ounces a year. Mm. So then we sort of backed that off and said, okay, if... If we want to find another five million ounces, and you know, what are we going to have to spend expiration-wise? And right now, our discovery cost, and and from what limited tracking we've done, is about six dollars an ounce. We said, well, oh. what if it's ten bucks an ounce? That means we got to spend fifty million dollars to get five million ounces. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, we want to try to do that in a couple of years. Sure. So therefore, you know, we took about twenty-three million dollars, almost half of that, and said. You know, let's let's we have some really good targets. Let's uh, see what we can do. And and the bulk of this is in an area called the Cosmo Holly um, um, structure. It's about a five six kilometer strike length. Um, Holly is an open pit. Cosmo is an underground deposit. Mm-hmm. Right in that immediate area, we currently have two point one million ounces. And what's very interesting on Holly is the deepest drilling that we inherited was about eighty meters. Right now, mm-hmm. we're drilling upwards of two hundred and fifty meters, and we want to fill that whole five kilometer area in with drilling. And so far, we're still encountering uh, ore, and we still haven't closed off the ore body. Um, We expect to be updating the market over the next few weeks with some more Holly drill results. Uh, We recently updated the market on Cosmo drill results. And even on Cosmo, we've got a 1.3 million underground, uh, 1.3 million ounce underground resource, and it's open to depth and open to long strike. So the drilling that we've done still shows that everything remains open. So we're very excited about the potential there. And the way I look at it is because we've got a very large tenement package, we want to concentrate where we have our critical mass. So if you put your infrastructure there, put your expiration dollars there, we're going to hopefully, if we're successful, uh, also have a large uh, amount of production coming from those areas. Well, I could I could certainly see if you're able to uh, generate 10 million ounces in the ground and start talking about a half a million ounces a year of production, that puts you in the big leagues, really, with some of the bigger producers in the world. And, well, uh, certainly if you're able to achieve that, I'm, I'm thinking your, your market cap, I believe, is probably not where some of your peers are right now. Would you care to comment on that? How do you see your market cap relative to your peer group? And I'm I'm thinking probably if you're talking peer group, you're talking about companies that are producing 100, 200,000 ounces a year. Is that is that would that be your peer group? Yeah, exactly. And and, and even when you um, we've got a comparable uh, furnished uh, forest by Macquarie on our presentation on our website, and we just compared uh, let's say this year's uh, 
production estimates against some of our peer group. And, you know, some of these companies, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, they go anywhere from four or $500 million market caps to uh, $1.5 billion market caps. And, mm-hmm. and we feel that, uh, you know, at $300 million, we're a little undervalued. But we also recognize that, you know, we, we have to hit our production targets. We have to show the market that we could do what we say we're going to do. And we have to continue to deliver expiration results. And, and I, I anticipate over the next three months, we're going to be able to do that. And I think when we do that, I, I believe the market will reward us accordingly. And, you know, that's that's the way the markets work. They are supposed to be efficient. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I'm, I guess we're hopeful that they will be. Well, certainly, if you're uh, if you're able to deliver the numbers you're projecting, then I think the market will you know build confidence and and the share price will re- will be reflective of that. I would just like to ask if you could comment just very briefly on your management team. You do, I mean, you do have a very experienced management team. You could just very briefly talk about a couple of the key players. Yeah, exactly. And and one thing there uh, I'd point out too is we have a real uh, a lot of us have a connection back to Goldcore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be vice president of projects at Goldcore. Um, our chief operating officer, uh, Dave Keogh, uh, I, I was involved with him when uh, I worked at uh, Goldcore. He was in corporate development and in charge of operations in South America. Uh, Brad Boland was a former uh, CFO of Goldcore. He's our CFO. Uh, Chris Bradbrook was a former vice president of corporate development of Goldcore, who's our vice chairman. Uh, Bruce Humphrey, who is COO of Goldcore, is uh, one of our directors. And uh, we have a nice blend of... Um, you know, people with geological backgrounds, mining backgrounds, and financial backgrounds on our board. And I think that really helps us a lot in uh, getting the, uh, the most of this asset and supporting our efforts moving forward. Okay, certainly people can get a uh, you know, more detailed bio of your key management people by going to your website, which is what? www.crockgold.com. Okay, one more question before we say goodbye and, and before we have you on again sometime. I know we're going to, but could you just... Say what? What is uh, you know what could go wrong? Um, I, I'd say you know the thing that that uh, you know would always uh, maybe have you concerned, not necessarily concerned, but uh, you know make you think a little bit is uh, of course commodity prices are always a, a big deal. We'd like to see uh, the gold price strengthen. Uh, the other thing is uh, you know the Australian dollar strengthened quite a bit against the U.S. dollar. Um, everything we're seeing is that it's not going to get much stronger, but uh, you know, we we don't really want to see it uh, get much stronger either because most, like all our expenditures are in uh, Australian dollars, but obviously we're getting paid in U.S. dollars. Sure. Um, and then the biggest thing I think for any mining company in the world is, uh, you know, when you recruit some good people, you want to keep them. So, uh, sure. you know, we have to, uh, you know, motivate our people, uh, treat them right. And, uh, you know, obviously if we do that, they're going to treat us right and, uh, you know, help deliver our uh, production and cost uh, to our shareholders. Very good. Well, I guess we're out of time and uh, and then some, but I uh, thank you again for passing on uh, your information on Crocodile Gold. Very exciting story, folks. We're going to be uh, hearing more from this company, I'm sure, in the near future. Don't go away. We're going to have, at, right after the break, we're going to have Dave Corsi, who's a uh, who's looking to become a member of Congress from the 12th District of New Jersey. He'll be joining us. He'll also be giving us some of his some of his views on the real estate market where he spent his life, um, his, his adult life, most of his adult life at least, and uh, uh, in that profession. So don't go away. We'll be right back with David Corsi. Thanks very much, Jay. Thank you. Thanks.
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be blind. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm with David Corsi. He's running uh, for the Re- in the Republican primaries for the right to take on one of the most liberal Democrats in Congress from the 12th District of New Jersey. David Corsi is the president of Peace of Mind Management Corporation. That's a real estate, finance, and property management firm. He's shared his real estate and finance uh, expertise as a host of a call-in radio program uh, called Let's Talk Real Estate and another show called The Lowdown. Uh, He is currently competing, as I said, uh, in the Republican primaries uh, in the 12th District of New Jersey for a U.S. congressional seat. David, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We had you here last week, but we didn't have a time to, to talk about everything we wanted to talk about, so we've got you back, and I'm glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. I want to ask you a little bit about real estate. We're going to talk politics, but since your background is so much in real estate, uh, well, I want to ask you about that, but I, I have to really bring up something, even before we get into real estate. I have to mention you know, this Rasmussen poll that had Ron Paul in a virtual dead heat with Obama, when the question was asked of the American people, who would you best like to see president of the United States the next term, 43% said Obama, 42% said Ron Paul. There wasn't even another person in the Republican Party who broke into double figures. Now, Ron Paul is and has been considered kind of a goofus by the mainstream Republican, the mainstream American uh, political uh, politicos. Uh, what do you think is going on here? I think it's a good... Uh good way for the country to be going, because I see it as a split between mindsets in the uh, general public. Now, a lot of people view it differently. They seem to think that we have to all be singing Kumbaya together and all getting along. I think it's about getting a battle of ideas going, because right now, many times in Congress and Washington, there's not much difference between a Republican and Democrat. Whichever one is in power is trying to cover and protect their own little fiefdom. If we have more folks like Ron Paul, and it's a total opposite 180 from the liberal mentality of Washington currently, then we can bring all this to a head and let everybody down there really fight for the real battle of ideas. Who has better ideas? And quite frankly, I think we would just romp all over them if we ever got there and started promoting it properly. I find that's a big problem the Republicans have. Well, it's true. I mean, they don't. Uh, Ron Paul is probably, uh, and the Tea Party is probably one of the leading, one of the leading proponents. I mean, there there aren't really any major leaders out there. But what I see, David, are a lot of people, lots and lots of people, that are recognizing in the ma- masses of people. I mean, voters that are recognizing Ron Paul for the honest person that he is, and for the return to the return to the Constitution. People are realizing that we've been led astray by the mainstream. And uh, so it seems to me that, that the American people are starting to say, wait a minute, we've had enough. And then there, then there are a lot of leaders like yourself or, or people that are proposing and, and interested in becoming public servants, not 
necessarily for their own self-aggrandizement, but basically to try to get the country back on track with the basic values and principles that that uh, were you know stated in the Constitution that were that that the country was built upon. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, a lot of people, I think, this time around have decided to run because my campaign slogan is had enough, and I think that fits a lot of folks who are running for some form of office, whether it's at the local level or a federal type thing, where they're basically saying they've had enough. They've watched these guys basically sell us down the river, turn us from the largest creditor nation into the largest debtor nation, have no clue how to solve any of our economic woes. And they're simply saying we have to turn another way. And the leading proponent, quite frankly, down in Washington all these years of the other way has been Ron Paul. So more and more people are starting to catch on to him and are starting to listen. As you mentioned, they used to look at him as kind of an oddball, but now there's now a closer second look coming, and people are saying, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. He kind of warned that this was going to happen, and it is now happening. So maybe we better pay, pay closer attention to him, and quite frankly... That has to come from the grassroots. You mentioned the Tea Party, mm-hmm. all those kind of grassroots groups, because quite frankly, it will not come from Washington. No. They are so mired in their own special interests that they cannot see the forest for the trees, and it's about time we got them the heck out of there. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I know Ron Paul understands that. He is uh, Ron is no spring chicken. He keeps himself incredibly fit. I know the man... I know the man well. I took my son down to visit with Ron years a few years ago when he was a sophomore in high school, and I knew that Ron was really looking to the youth. It is the youth of this country and the college campuses and uh, and, and younger people that have not been that have not been uh, bought out by the system, let's say, that ha- don't have you know vested interest in seeing the status quo maintained. Those are the people that probably have a chance. Um, you know, those are the people who are probably going to make a difference at some point in time. When they, young people start looking at how we bankrupted this country to live beyond our means, uh, you know, they, they, it's it's not surprising that they're that they're uh, up in arms and starting to, to to get into action. But I want to ask you, I want to get to your campaign. We definitely want to talk about that. But I actually really want to ask you just a little bit about real estate because you spent your life there. You talked about you've had enough. You know, that's your campaign slogan. You've had enough. But hasn't real estate been pretty good to you, David? Uh, well, it's, it's done, we've done well. We've never been uh, – we, we run a property management firm. We rehab houses. As a matter of fact, today, before I came on, I'm one of the real people. I actually was out physically rehabbing a house. <laughs> you know, so we, we live in the real world. We manage properties. Uh, we've been doing it for many years, and we have a long-term mentality towards investing. We are true investors, not guys who work – jumped in into the speculative market, got their heads handed to them because they don't understand finance and economics. And it goes to, Jay, what we've been talking about even with Ron Paul, etc. If you understand finance and economics, you would have set yourself up not to get burned by what happened in the real estate market. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you've been to a couple of the seminars I put on with a good friend of mine, Paul Majenovic, yep. and you know that back in the early 2000s, we were warning people what was going to happen. Absolutely. Uh, I would watch people making loans, making deals, watching what Wall Street was selling to the secondary market, knowing Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were buying absolutely garbage investment and claiming that they were AAA, they were getting those AAA ratings from mm-hmm. Moody's. And you're watching this and saying, when is anybody going to realize the emperor has no clothes here? 
Yeah. And you, you knew what we were waiting for was to watch when those loan resets were going to start, because at that point you knew the defaults were going to start coming fast and furious. So we always tried to warn folks to avoid that. So we've been able to position ourselves pretty well. Well, indeed. Uh, now, let me ask you, though, David, so you actually go out there with a hammer in your hand and knock some nails into the... Absolutely. I was doing it today. And I love it. I love it. I mean, here's a man running you know, for Congress. I, I'm, not, I, uh, I'm very good at, you know, it's funny because people, you know, they think it's kind of strange because they know I have a very strong background in finance and economics, but I'm not the kind of person who could just spend all day in an office creating deals and structuring deals, which is another big part of my business, but I actually like doing physical work. If I didn't do physical work, I would go crazy. All right, well, real estate is regional. Let me just ask you quickly then about New Jersey, where you where you live and where you've been operating. What does the market for residential market look like in New Jersey right now? Does it still have a ways to go on the downside, do you think, the prices? It, I, I think it does because, you know, you keep reading in the paper, and I, I look at it as propaganda. They keep trying to plant these little stories about the market is improving, things are getting better. But, again, they, they skew the statistics. For instance, when they talk about home sales being up, they also include in that number if a property goes into foreclosure and a bank takes it back at auction, they're calling mm-hmm. that a sale. Uh-huh. And that's just plain disingenuous. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and the other thing is if anybody kind of puts the um, pieces together, you know the Obama administration was kind of – working on moratoriums and different things like that. The idea was to hold off on having all these foreclosures hit the market. Recently, they've been giving signals that they want to start having more short sales, more houses come back on the market, which means the market is going to get flooded back to supply and demand. There's going to be a greater supply, and the demand, quite frankly, isn't that strong. I believe, in this census, New Jersey will ultimately lose one congressional seat, and that is because people have had enough pardon the uh, pun there, but they uh, have had enough, and they're moving out of New Jersey. They're moving out of many areas of the Northeast because either jobs, they have lost their jobs, or the property taxes are too high. So we we have a ways to go here. David, I have to ask you, because this is a a main concern of mine, I, I hear a lot of Republicans say a lot of nice things, a lot of good things about free market economics, but when it comes back, when it comes down to it, they're not really interested in changing anything too significant. They're not really interested in changing uh, the monetary system, for example. And I happen to believe that we would never have had the kinds of rotten problems in real estate and other areas, the kind of stuff we're seeing with Goldman Sachs now, the kind of things we've seen with the rating agencies, the kind of government spending beyond their means, everybody spending beyond their means, if we had an honest currency. Ron Paul has tried to, you know, has, has talked about this and the need to get rid of the Fed, the need to get rid of the IRS. I mean, it sounds very, very radical, but nonetheless, people are starting to listen, as you mentioned. Where do you stand with respect to uh, currencies? Let's say, would you, would you favor uh, over time looking at least at going back to some sort of a commodity-backed currency system? Because, David, it seems to me what is really rotten in, in, in America, in Denmark or in America here, is that... Uh, is that we have an unlimited ability to create money out of thin air, and then the institutions that have that license to create money out of thin air are doing it, and they're they're gaining wealth at the expense of people like you who hammer nails in roofs of houses. Right. Uh, at the very least, I would propose a strong audit of the Fed and a real audit, nothing where they're trying to cover things up. Number one, and number two, I would I would seriously look at 
doing something about ending the Fed and going back to more of a commodity? Because, you know, again, it sounds um, revolutionary, so to speak, but most of mankind has never been under these monetary restrictions, and it worked very well. Supply and demand, the natural market had a great way of evening these things out over time. Mm -hmm. You know, the argument is always made about the Federal Reserve. Well, my gosh, if who will regulate the money? You know, the idea is to avoid depressions. Well, the Fed was in there for 1929, weren't they? And they, weren't, they didn't seem to be able to resolve it. We've had all these money things. We, we saw what's happened in this country since 2000 when they uh, were pushing their loose money. Now we have Bernanke who talks about he'll keep it as um, easy as he has to to keep things going which all that means is they're going to keep printing more dollars so people like Barney Frank can cover up their sins. And, again, I find most of Washington, whether it's the regulatory agencies, Congress, executive office, everybody is just trying to cover up the mess they've made because they're petrified of people actually catching on to what they've been doing for the last 40 years. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's switch to your campaign. Uh, the twelfth district of uh, New Jersey is an odd district. Actually, I I, uh, I talked to um, you know one of Congressman Paul's people this morning about your district. The twelfth district runs all the way across your state, doesn't it? Can you tell us something yeah. about uh, about your district and uh, you know you know what what is the what are the people made of? Are they liberals, uh, conservatives, in between, uh, ethnically div diverse, or what? We, we are a great, great microcosm of the whole country. We start geographically along the, on the western end, right on the Delaware River up in Hunterdon County. It meanders across in a narrow band, a very jagged-looking band across the central part of New Jersey, and it ends uh, ba basically at the Atlantic Ocean. So we literally go across the straight state. It's a very narrow band. It is very ethnically diverse, and also from a political standpoint. We have areas that are very, very considered liberal, and we have other areas which are considered quite conservative. So it's a very interesting uh, district, so to speak. And the funny thing was, for the last 10 years, it's been in Democrat hands. Before that, it was considered pretty staunchly Republican. Then there was redistricting, etc., the general area. So we have a mix now where there's a lot more the vast majority of people registered are registered as independents. So the battle comes down to who can get the independents. And quite frankly, I've been saying this for years, the Republicans to me have never put up a good fight. Can you tell us a little bit about your Republican opponent? Uh, who is he? And, um, uh, you know, just give us a little background. And also, um, you know, it, a lot of these things come down to raise. A lot of the success or failure comes down to raising money. How are you? Uh, how are you doing in that score? Okay. Well, first off, my opponent's name in the Republican primary is Scott Suprell. Scott is on the western end of the district. He lives in the Princeton area. Uh, he is a venture capitalist from Wall Street, mm -hmm. and he he's doing quite a bit of self-financing of his campaign. I have nowhere near the uh, financial capability of doing that. His uh, views are tend to be similar to mine, except I think I'm more on the freedom um, of the economics. And we, we uh, Scott, for instance, would be in favor of a flat tax. I'm more of in favor of the fair tax, which is the consumption tax. Mm -hmm. uh, I tend to be more of a libertarian, I would say, than Scott. He, you know, more of he has more of that Wall Street point of view of things. Sure, I have more of a pure capitalism 
point of view because I'm not convinced that Wall Street exa- is, uh, is a capitalist or, uh, association, for lack of a better word anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these big corporations, and you watch them, and you know full well, Jay, yeah. they are not really truly capitalist. No, 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 no. You know, if anything, uh, and I don't want to put names on anybody necessarily, but if we're looking at government uh, protection of the large corporations, well, that's a fascist economic system uh, that's where we're headed. I believe that's where we're headed under both parties, frankly. And so right. I'm looking for people who can take us back to the Constitution, get government out of our lives as much as possible, and let people be free and so they can be creative right. and so they can be who God has made them to be. I think you are pretty much on that score. Sure. To, to give an example, now, Barack Obama is considered by many to be very liberal. Quite frankly, I think he's socialist. Mm-hmm. But here we, here we have a case where who are his top contributors? Companies like Goldman Sachs, right? City, oh, I... J.P. Morgan, Time Warner, IBM, Morgan Stanley, General Electric. Now, if they are really true capitalist organizations, would they be supporting somebody who basically is trying to take control and nationalize them? Well, they, they, they probably yes. In answer to your question, I, I don't think they are true capitalists. I think they're looking for optimizing profit and getting rid of competition as much as possible. That's, that's by nature uh, the way things are. And, and I guess it's not unusual for human beings to try to gain those kind of advantages, but, you know, it doesn't work very well for the masses of people. I have to ask you, so um, how can people help you if they're interested in supporting your candidacy? Where can they go to learn more about what you're doing and keeping up with your progress? To learn more about my campaign, uh, you can go to my website, which is www com. that's D-O-R-S-I, and an F-O-R, not the numeral four, but F-O-R, congress.com. We have a wealth of information on there. We are looking for people who want to volunteer in the area because a lot of our support is coming from word of mouth. We have gotten the Tea Party endorsement, and other groups, like-minded groups, have come out in support of me. And we're, we're making a real grassroots campaign of it, which is what we want. We want the people. I, I, Scott has pretty much gotten the establishment Republican support from the county leaders, etc., which, which is fine with me at this point, quite frankly, because I really am looking to get the people. And I right. think people in the Republican Party, the rank and file, are pretty well fed up with their, their party leaders as well. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're going to be uh, keeping up with your campaign, that's for sure, and perhaps having you on again sometime soon. Uh, all the best, and we, uh, we wish you uh, the best, David, so stay with us, um, and we'll, we'll be uh, talking to you again in the near future. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jispert uh, Gunenwagen and Arch Crawford. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Merex Gold with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex has indicated gold resources based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold Deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially possible. The sponsors for the second hour of this show are Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Goldrich Mining and Canaco, Canaco Resources, and I want to thank both Goldrich and Canaco for being sponsors. They're new sponsors this week. So thanks to all of the companies for making this show financially uh, possible. Um, also, I just want to welcome our guest here um, that for this segment. Uh, we have uh, Jispert Gunenwagen. 
and also Arch Crawford. Jisper was with us last week, and we just didn't have enough time to cover everything we wanted to talk about, so I've invited him back to talk with us this week and uh, perhaps a little interaction with Arch Crawford, who's been with us in the past. But just a little bit of background on Jisper. He is a Dutch national with a law degree from Leiden University in the Netherlands. He lives in London and New York, where he manages a hedge fund. Jispert co-funded a stock brokerage firm in London that was later sold to Jefferies, Inc. in 2000, and he has acquired in-depth knowledge in metals and mining companies and has an extensive network in the industry. Uh, separately, he writes about macroeconomic trends on his blog, which is com. and let me spell that. It's G-R-O-E-N-E-W-E-G-E-N-Report.com. Uh, and then Arch Crawford is recognized around the world for his uncanny acumen. Arch Crawford is uh, a real sought-after speaker in the United States, uh, Europe, and the Pacific Rim. He has uh, been profiled in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Forbes, the Los Angeles Times, Kiplinger's Personal Finance, and in dozens of periodicals around the world. He also shares his insights on CNBC, Adam Smith's Money World, and Nightly Business Report, sightings, the Wall Street Journal, Report, Good Morning America, ABC's 2020, and more. Arch Crawford first trained as a technical analyst under top Wall Street technician Robert Farrell at Merrill Lynch in the early 60s. His extensive research into astrophysical phenomenon, astrology, and its correlation to market performance convinced him the study of those disciplines could boost the investment results. So in 1977, he started Crawford Perspectives. It's a highly successful market timing letter. He was named number one in market timing by the Hulbert Financial Digest in 2008. Well, welcome both uh, Jispert and Arch uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, good to have you both back. Arch, I should have uh, mentioned to our listeners that you were with us a couple of times last year, I think in the summer of last year. Uh, so I know you were a popular guest then, and I'm very, very glad to have you back. Uh, I, I want to point out uh, that these two gentlemen are independent of each other. Uh, I know Jispert uh, is familiar with, with Arch's work, and he's been a subscriber in the past. Uh, so knowing both men, I thought it would be fun to have them on the show together uh, to get their views and perhaps uh, maybe a little interaction between the two. Uh, but I'd like to begin by first asking Jispert to lay out his views on the economy right now. You know, we've had this you look at the market, everything seems to be honky-dory, right? And, and people are talking about the worst is behind us. In fact, people are just almost forgetting the worst. They're thinking everything is going to be cool and good again going into the future. Uh, I'm not sure that you would agree with that, but could you just sort of briefly tell our listeners, uh, Jispert, if you would, what your views are on the equity markets, the dollar, perhaps the debt markets, and the precious metals markets? Yeah, um... Well, what I see is basically that a lot of these, you know, big companies have um, pretty good results, but um, I think people forget that it's an easy comparison. A lot of these companies have international business, so they are also getting their earnings from abroad, uh, from China, Brazil, uh, anywhere in the world, um, and um, that they have got a lot of staff uh, last year and basically got rid of the excessive fat. So that's why we see these very strong percentage increases in earnings. But uh, the question here is, will it be sustainable? Sustainable? Will we have the top-line growth going forward? And I don't think so. And the reason is that, um, you know, we also see with the small businesses in, in the U.S. 
that they can't, uh, they can't survive. They don't get the money from the banks because the banks are not willing to lend. And, and, and some people are saying, you know, we, we have uh, basically experienced four recessions and we have never experienced it. Uh, experienced it. The people are not spending, and mm-hmm. they have extremely difficult times to survive. Next to that, uh, I think, uh, is uh, what we have seen with Greece, which has, uh, you know, made us fully aware of, uh, you know, the, the sovereign debt uh, issues. Um, Greece is looking to to hit the eight uh, percent interest um, soon, and I think that will only deteriorate because. You can mathematically calculate that they are unable to get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. And what we have also seen is that the European countries haven't made any firm commitment, you know, in order to rescue Greece. So I think it's a lost case. It's just a matter of time before we see, you know, the, do- the domino effect taking place. And also Soros has mentioned, um, you know, Greece as, uh, as the beginning of the end in terms of sovereign debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're pretty negative. Uh, I guess you're, you're fairly negative. Do you believe we started a secular bear market in 2000 and then, that we're continuing on? Is, are we in a secular bear market yet? I guess. I, I think question. we are in a secular uh, bear market. Why? Because uh, what uh, the, the system is deleveraging, and 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 uh, we see more and more regulation, which is not good for you know liquidity and as such also asset values. And what we see now is that um, as a result of the strong performing uh, stock markets, that, you know, confidence has increased. But I think, um, you know, confidence is, is paper thin. The moment the markets fall, you know, I think all the, all the confidence will be wiped out and you see sharply lower, um, you know, values of, uh, of all kinds of asset classes. And... Um, you know, the, the other thing which I would like to draw your attention to is what we also see in terms of nature. You know, we see a lot of earthquakes. We see the intensity increasing. We see the volcano in Iceland uh, and a potential uh, second volcano erupting there. But we have to look at the possible impact also for agriculture and crops. Because mm-hmm. if we would get a lot of ash in the atmosphere, it could act as a mirror for, you know, sunlight and as a result of lowering of the temperature on Earth, and that could affect crops. Um, the other thing is, is that also since 2006, we have seen that there is a strongly declining bee uh, population. And we don't know yet why that is the case, but apparently 35% of, of, of the bee communities are not returning to their hives. And bees are important for the pollination of, uh, you know, flowers and crops, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So these are things that are playing. I don't know if it would have to do, you know, with solar activity or magnetic fields, but it's something, you know, uh, people well, let, should look at. Well, let, yeah, well, let's, let's turn it over to Arch then. Arch, you, you know, you, uh, you look at these, uh, these uh, natural phenomenon that uh, sometimes are caused by, or at least seem to be related to planetary movements. Uh, you also, of course, look at the markets. Uh, you see various planetary, planetary alignments that, that can uh, portend something uh, bad happening. Uh, I guess maybe sometimes some good things happen too, but, uh, but, but would you care to comment on that? I mean, we have this volcano is a very serious situation. It has already been 
serious in terms of airline um, airline profits and and the costliness of, of keeping people stranded. But you know, Gisbert was pointing out some other things that could be very big. Have, have, you know, in terms of its effect on the global economy, what are your thoughts? Any anything you've seen in the stars and the planets that might have uh, forecasted the uh, this volcanic action? Well, yes, uh, we're coming up to the largest alignment of planets. Uh, that means some opposite, some others, and and forming a an angle of a square with uh, Pluto, and uh, it's the biggest one that we've ever seen. I checked back a, close to a hundred years, and it's the the largest energy impact that I've ever seen. And uh, you know, I've, I calculate the Bradley model, which is totally astronomic related, uh, and it often predicts what the market will do. Well, a colleague in Vienna, Austria, calculated the Bradley model actually back two hundred years, and he said it'll hit a new low. For that time period this summer, probably July 30th, August 1st time period. Um, I mentioned this at an astrology group in, uh, conference in uh, Cambridge, Mass., and one fellow stood up and said, I checked it back a thousand years and there's nothing like it. And another fellow popped up and said, I've checked it back 10,000 years mm. and there's nothing like it. Mm. So in terms of natural cycles, this is the uh, crux or the, the the height of or the maximum of anything that we've seen in all of recorded history. Okay, so Arch, when does this happen? Are, are we on the verge of it now? Well, it it maximizes around August 1st, and I'm saying that the market will probably crash between May 1st and November 1st, that is not to say that it'll start down May 1st and end the down in November. It means that sometime during that period, we're going to come to a crisis point and have one of the biggest crashes and one of the worst down markets in history. Um, this, in, this, specific to the Mars-Uranus crash cycle, um, Every crash that we've had in the last hundred years has been in the same portion of that crash cycle, of that cycle of the Mars to the relationship to Uranus. And um, the crash portion begins at that August 1st date, approximately July 30th or so, and runs through March of uh, 2011. And uh, since we have this kind of a setup already, I think it's... uh, you know, I said in 2008 that because uh, we had a, a significant portion of money market instruments that are not able to trade, that when we hit the Mars-Uranus crash cycle, that neither Wall Street nor the government would be able to hold the markets up against that deluge. Mm. And we're coming around to it again this August 1st, and they're still not trading a great many of the uh, toxic assets. Well, toxic assets are certainly something, uh, Gisbert, you were, you and I were talking about off the air before we went on. Toxic assets, uh, who knows what the toxic assets are on the banks? I mean, is there any way of knowing? We, they stopped uh, market-to-market account, uh, accounting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, any sense, Gisbert, what's, what's there? Well, you know, uh, City announced its results, and it mentioned that it still had $500 billion in toxic assets on its uh, on its balance sheet. 
And if you look at the JP Morgan results, they were talking about, um, you know, lower losses in, um, in uh, what is it, credit cards and uh, in home financing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lower losses. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, you know, profits <clears throat> or whatever. So I, I just would like to put that into context. And mm-hmm. city with 500 billion, I mean, you might make a couple of billion, but that doesn't um, stand against, of course, this, this overwhelming, uh, you know, uh, amount of toxic assets because they're probably not um, really, um, you know, uh, valuing the, these assets mark to market and hoping for better times, that when the economy is improving, that they can keep it, you know, at certain levels on their balance sheets. But if you get a second uh, leg uh, down, then that could, uh, you know, basically explode in their face. Uh And that's what I think is going to happen. Well, you know, when we hear Arch talk about things uh, like he's talking about, it reminds me very much of uh, Dr. Robert McHugh, who's been on this show several times, Dr. McHugh is talking about a cataclysmic nation-changing event in the equity markets where we could see equity prices between the Dow and several others, major indices that he sees around the world, and he's an Elliott Wave uh, proponent, uh, but he sees a Dow in the the 0 to 1,000 range. Robert Prechter has come on here and talked about a sub-600 Dow. Do do both of you guys think that's in the realm of reality? And certainly, Arch, as I listen to your views about what you think could be coming based on the planetary alignments that that I would imagine that you're going to answer the affirmative of that, um, what what do you say? Um, I would say that the markets are probably the least of our worries. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. I mean, if if you're talking about oh, okay, give us some of the some of the other natural phenomenon that you're worried about. We talked about the volcano, the volcano, that is a, a serious a serious problem right now. Uh, but I guess perhaps child's play compared to what you think could be coming. Well, in uh, only half in jest, I'd say if the poles flip, we we all die. If we only have a nuclear war, maybe only half of us will die. Wait a minute, the poles flip? That's not possible. It happens about every 50,000 years, according to uh, lava flows on the floor of the Pacific Ocean. Is that a fact? So the last so 50,000 years ago or so, are we due for the next flip? Uh, yes, we're overdue. My goodness. Um, oh, so, um, well. That's, uh, um, I would say that that's the less, least likely, but uh, mm-hmm. there, there are scientists who are actually looking for that possibility, mm-hmm. and they're hoping that it'll only be a flip of the um, the electronics and not that the equator will go to the North Pole or something like that. Mm. My goodness. Well, I mean, this is, these are these are mind-boggling ideas, and, and maybe, um, again, I think, Arch, much of your work suggests that something is going to happen. You're not able, in most instances, to uh, put a high probability, or you are able to put a high probability on certain things over others. For example, the equity markets as opposed to some natural phenomenon? Well, sometimes sometime the natural, uh, the alignments uh, do correlate very highly with major news items on the earth, but they don't always hit the stock market. For instance, uh, we had a lunar eclipse conjunct Pluto in the same latitude, longitudinal degree approximately uh, back in 1986, April of 96, 86. And uh, that week, the Chernobyl blew up. 
and it did not affect the markets that much, but it affected worldwide e-commerce uh, in that a uh, great area was uh, increased radiation, and there's some slight increased radiation all over the earth. Well, we have another one of those coming up June 26th. This year, is, uh, there's not been one intervening. And um, since the astrologers say that Pluto rules uh, nuclear power and radiation as well as debt, so it could be debt re- relative to uh, currencies, and uh, as you were talking about sovereign debt previously, and uh, or it could be a nuclear event. Now, it could be like Israel taking out nuclear facilities of Iran, but then what if, if Iran blocks off the Straits of Hormuz and it puts oil back to $140 real fast? Mm-hmm. Not to mention what that would do to debt servicing and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, well, is there any logic uh, to that uh, arch when you, you know when you say that Pluto has an effect on on those on those items. I'm sorry, I, mean, I don't know. Or is it, or is it just a, a statistical thing, a, a statistical um, observation that there is some effect that Pluto has some effect on nuclear or debt, you know, yeah. debt items. Uh, yes, the correlations are very high though, um, and have been going. You see, uh, Pluto was discovered about the same time they were starting cranking up the nuclear pile at University of Chicago, <laughs> uh-huh. and that's a, a coincidence. Uh, yeah, but the. Uh, Pluto has been powerfully affected at the times of major nuclear events since then, so that it's a pretty... Um, now, I had a friend uh, who was a radio propagation specialist at RCA Corporation, and he um, was using the planets to determine what the radio propagation quality would be because of when the sunspot activity hits the North Atlantic uh before the days of the satellite, uh, RCA could, we would stop their shortwave connections to major data flow. They'd have to switch down to South America, over to Africa, and back up to Europe. And uh, they, they wanted Nelson to figure this out. Well, he was found out that using someone recommended it, and he looked at, uh, at the former 13 worst magnetic storms in, uh, on record at RCA, and mm-hmm. found the planets were all aligned, uh, had alignments, uh, harmonic alignments. So um, I, I said to him one day, I said, I notice you don't, I know you don't use Pluto because it's too small and too far away to have a major gravitational effect, but its mm-hmm. statistics are showing up in my stock market work. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll check my notes. And he went and uh, studied you know, several years' worth of data, and he says, you're right. And after that, he used the Pluto. Interesting. Well, um, you, you talk about the uh, the heavenly bodies, of course, have gravitational pull, right? right? They, they do things, and they affect the moods of, okay. of people, and, they're, and therefore cause their people to act differently with, with these um, different alignments. Is that part of what's going on here? Well, apparently it does make people act differently, or at least it has some connection with what makes people act differently. I think it has probably electromagnetic, and I can understand uh, things about happening with this uh, pop-offs from the sun, but some of these things, uh, news events will occur when there's not much change in the solar activity, but the change will um, be modified 
come about on the earth, and it will be related to what people thought a hundred years ago that the astrology would probably cause. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I remember many years ago, and, and my wife would be quick to say, "Well, that explains your behavior." But many years ago, I worked in I worked in a psychiatric unit actually uh, when I was a young fellow. And um, and the nurses used to joke about it. Uh, we'd come on when I worked the night shift. They'd joke about a full moon. They said, "Uh oh, we're going to have a lot of trouble. There are going to be a lot of the natives are going to be restless tonight. We're going to have a lot of people coming through emergency rooms." And now I'm I'm reading, um, you know, that there actually is a correlation between a full moon and more auto accidents. Arch, are you there? Yes. Have Have you is that is that something you're aware of? Oh, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, in New York, uh, the, the police who've got uh, uh, time on job try to stay away from, not for necessarily from a full moon during the week, but they don't want any full moon weekend duty because people do go much wilder having less um, constraints on the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if you... If- you, so you can anticipate these mood swings. I mean, based on the based on the planetary alignments, and um, you, you talk something about difficult angles. I've I've heard you talk about that. Could you explain what what you mean by that? Well, specifically, uh, the angles of square and opposition uh, are on the 360 degrees of the uh, planetary cycle or the the sky cycle. We divided it up into 360 degrees and. When things are like new moon is a conjunction and a and a full moon is an opposition, and then at the square the quarter moons are the square like positions, but the planets get at those positions too, and they tend to have uh, more immediately damaging effects on uh, uh, electromagnetic balance in people and in tides and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um. Could you give us some examples of difficult alignments and you know correlated with with uh, different uh, problems in the past? For example, uh, the Great Depression. Um, actually, there was a similar alignment to here. What is happening in August is uh, late July, early August is Mars conjunct in the same space with Saturn, opposing a conjunction of Jupiter and Uranus, and all at square angles to Pluto. Huh. And it's all at zero degrees of the cardinal signs, which astrologers say uh, is the most, when things happen there, it affects the whole world. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly I've uh, made predictions about all of the major events that have occurred uh, since I've been doing my letter. And the, uh, there was a lunar eclipse square Mars and Saturn um, the day of the largest bank failure in U.S. history in, in 1982 to that date. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penn Square failed that morning. Yeah. Um, we had um, a big align, alignment with uh, a lunar eclipse um, forming a grand cross with with Mars opposing Pluto, and I predicted that uh, that day would be one of the most um, serious of the century, there will be coercion, the use of force, a large explosion, 
a large explosion and heartlessness or cruelty, August the 2nd to the 7th, 1990. And on August the 2nd, Saddam Hussein unexpectedly attacked Kuwait. Hmm. Wow. What about uh, the 87 crash? Was there anything that sort of foretold of that? Oh, certainly. Um, there, actually, an article came out on the front page of the Wall Street Journal uh, talking about the harmonic convergence, which was um, someone had written a book about a, an important date in the Mayan calendar and um, what it would might mean. And uh, I looked at the date they had, August the 17th, and I said, I don't see any big deal there. And I was moving ahead in my computer one day at a time. And seven days later, on August 24th, is the tightest five-body conjunction in at least 800 years that I checked. And that was in the best possible aspect to Jupiter, which is the best possible planet, Mm -hmm. according to some people. Mm -hmm. And I said, it doesn't get any better than this. And I'm saying, okay, what does it mean if it can't get any better than this? It means it's a top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wrote in my newsletter at the time, three weeks before the top, this market will peak on August 24th, give or take three days, after which we will have a horrendous crash. And uh, if you look back, you'll see that the high close of 1987 was August the 24th. Wow, that's really interesting. Then we dropped down to the solar eclipse on the fall equinox in uh, 1987. Uh, made a new low that morning, scared the heck out of the traders, and, and turned around and had the biggest up day in history. In points. Mm-hmm. Sorry about the uh, little static there. Static. Uh, J- Jispert, are you still with me? Yep. And then, Jispert, have you a question for Arch? No, Anything you that... know, I, I'm just looking at, um, you know, indeed, it's, uh, the similarities. You know, uh, what is there in, say, the 1929-1932 period that, um, you know, is kind of similar to, to this period, potentially. So I... I tend to look always also in, in finance uh, at correlations because I think they they tell you something. Um, well, that's that's interesting, and certainly, I mean, uh, the correlations between you're talking about the correlations between the things that Arch looks at. Well, I think you know um, what what we're talking about in a way. If if you want to interpret, um, you know, the, the the sort of universal energy in a specific way and I can imagine that it has an impact on the psychology of people and as such on, on how they behave and how they have behaved before and how you get to certain situations. I, I can, you know, you could rational, uh, rationally, um, you know, think that way. Because what we're seeing now also is that certain structures are getting attacked. If you look at Goldman Sachs, um, you know, with the whole fiduciary trust issue, you know, things that are coming out, you know, when they had an issue with Greece, you know, helping Greece to enter the EU on, on the false premises, you know, and, uh, and, and, and now the whole thing with, uh, you know, the, the CDO and, and the John Paulson Fund, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we also see that, uh, I think in the world, we see that, you know, a sovereign debt issue is coming up. You don't easily get in these situations. You know, it takes a long time. But when you're in those situations, you don't get out that easily. Right. Now, and what I can imagine is that you see a convergence, you know, of all kinds of trends 
that might come together at one stage and that suddenly will come to the surface because I believe that there are a lot of problems in the world. You know, we haven't seen Dubai yet, which is also coming to the fore again in, in May, uh, this, so next month, when the, uh, um, you know, uh, when, when they have to deal with, um, you know, starting to pay interest again on their debt. Um, we have an issue of aging you know, in Japan, you know, pensions is mm-hmm. something we haven't discussed at all. But, you know, we see a lot of things that are almost sort of getting out of hand, if I mm-hmm. can say so. And, and, and it feels like, uh, you know, that's why I linked in, for example, you know, other trends that I see in, in the world. And I wonder if that's similar from that point of view, like uh, we have seen in, in the, you know, sort of 1929 to what is it, 1933, 1934 time? Arch, any yeah. comments? Um, well, I pretty much agree with that. Um, I, I've been watching trends in a lot of things, too, and um, we're coming up to also the, the Mayan calendar date, um, which is the end of a 25,600-year cycle. And it seems that all these uh, trends are coming to an ending phase and, like, uh, things are falling apart. Um, right at the end of that very, very, very long-term cycle. Right. Interesting. Well, these are these are interesting, very, very interesting and uh, disconcerting, I might say, uh, um, ideas. But I think it's always good to try to to try to see and understand what's going on as much as possible. I think it's better uh, to know or to have some sense that there are problems than to be oblivious to it, so that you can prepare your life accordingly. That we're really out of time now. I want to thank both Jispert and Archie for being with us. But before we say goodbye, Archie, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about your work? Well, uh, CrawfordPerspectives.com is the website, and uh, or you can just Google Arch Crawford and you'll find it. Don't go to the old one. Sometimes uh, Google, I think, still has the old website first, but the first thing you see on it is a link to the newer one. Um, So that's the easiest uh, way to reach us. Um, Okay, and uh, I might mention that Seeking Alpha had a great interview with Arch on it, and people might want to look that up and and read that interview. And Jispert, just one second here. Can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about your work? Uh, well, you know, they could go to, uh, you know, my blog site, groenewegenreport.com, G-R-O-E-N-E-W-E-G-E-N, report.com. And the last remark I would like to make is uh, that, um, you know, what we see is a trend towards tangible assets. Mm-hmm. And I think under the circumstances, it would be wise to have a percentage, say 10 15% in gold and silver and or mining companies, but one should also look at agricultural land and water, and potentially also, of course, because the yield of the arable land needs to be as high as possible going forward as a result of urbanization and other mm-hmm. trends we have mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, one looks at uh, potash and uh, you know uh, phosphate and, and nitrogen. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time. Thanks again, both of you, for being with us. Folks, I'll be right back with the wrap-up in just uh, one second after the commercial break.
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. So we only have a couple of minutes left here. Uh, we ran overtime a little bit with Jispert and Archie, and we could have gone on a long time. Archie had a lot of other very interesting things to talk about in Jispert. Uh, as well, but uh, time uh, is a reality, notwithstanding what James Taylor sings in my theme song. 
but in any event, uh, I just would like to mention that my newsletter called um, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks does have a technology component to it. In fact, this past week, uh, just yesterday, in fact, we put out a buy recommendation on a very interesting company uh, called Diagnose, and this is a company that is uh, using its technology to uh, both in the healthcare sector uh, in early diagnosis of uh, diabetes and other conditions. Uh, I think it's a breakthrough technology that looks like it could be a very interesting, a very very interesting story. Um, and I visited the offices up in Quebec, uh, up in Montreal last weekend, uh, actually Monday a week ago. Uh, and uh, one stock that I think is really very interesting. It also has, uh, is also involved in pulling data together for exploration of mining projects. So I think that's one that you know on the technology side, uh, we're, our focus is mostly on gold and gold mining and some energy. And, and Chen is certainly bringing in some extremely interesting ideas in the energy sector, and we hope that he can continue to do that for us and pass some of those ideas along. You might want to, though, really seriously consider taking out a trial subscription to Chen. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling for $39 for a one-month subscription? And uh, see if it doesn't make sense for you. If you have an ability to be in front of the computer and to buy and sell on Chen's advice, it can really work out well. Roger Wiegand has a special for $49 as well. And you can get uh, a three-month trial to my newsletter for $59. Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to our Mining Stocks website. I must mention that next week we've got Matt Simmons. He's the author of Twilight in the Desert. That's the book that makes the case for peak oil. We're also going to have uh, Amir Adnami. He's the president of Uranium Energy. We're going to have uh, Charles Desjardins, who's the president of uh, Kentucky Coal Company, North American Gem, with us. Both of those companies are recommendations in my newsletter. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Tump, uh, Ruben Colombe, the operations manager, and Justin Jackman for making this program uh, logistically possible, and I want to thank each of you for listening again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making this a more a more and more popular show. Um, so look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you?